newspaper, particularly in the lifestyle issues, because or the lifestyle section, because it, it equates me and keeps me up with the culture. And in fact, I was taught that in uh, seminary to to be aware of the culture. And there's no way I could see all of the TV shows or movies. There's no way I could read all the books uh, that are popular in the culture now. Uh, but as I read the newspaper, it, it lets me know what people are reading. So I always look at the best-selling books every week and see what books are most popular. For instance, the best-selling fiction book this week's Echoes of Death by J.D. Robb. Uh, maybe you know that, that author, maybe you don't. Uh, but every week as I read that list of best-selling books, there's one book missing. I looked up some statistics this week. The average American Christian owns nine Bibles and wants to purchase more. That is the reason the Bible is actually excluded from book bestseller lists because it would always be on top. The percentage of Americans who own at least one Bible, 92%. Regardless of their religious affiliation, two-thirds of those owners say the Bible holds the key to the meaning of life. The Gideons International they distribute almost 60 million Bibles worldwide each year. That's more than 100 Bibles per minute. 20 million Bibles are sold each year in the United States. That's more than double the amount that was sold annually in the 1950s. There are more than 168,000 Bibles that are either sold or given away every single day in the United States. But it's not just the United States. More than 2,100 languages have at least one book of the Bible in that language. All over the world, the Bible is distributed. It's estimated between 1815 and 1975 that there were more than 5 billion Bibles printed. And that, 1975, is over 40 years ago. How many more have been printed since then? I didn't come up with that statistic but you can imagine it's a lot. So I say this to you, the problem in the world is not, I think, a shortage of Bibles. The problem in our homes is probably not a shortage of Bibles. But I want to say one thing clearly today. As we've been talking in this series, as we look through 2 Timothy, as we talk about our lasting legacy, a great deal of your legacy will be determined by, by the degree to which you prioritize the study of the Bible and the living it out, the application of it in your life. The Bible, I believe, is God's truth to man. I believe that because I've doubted it, I've researched it, I've examined it. I, I believe this has the key to helping us to live a life that is blessed by God, a life that is a blessing to others, a life that lives to, to make him known and shown to others. So we're going to look today at 2 Timothy 3, 16 to verse 5 of chapter 4. And I think here we have to answer two questions. Why do we need God's truth? If you believe my thesis statement, a great deal of the legacy of our lives will be determined by the priority we give to the study and living out of God's Word, then those two questions we have to ask and answer. Why do we need God's truth and why must we cling to God's truth? First, why do we need God's truth? Verse 16 and 17. All Scripture is God-breathed 
and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. It's not just a New Testament teaching. We're going to break down those verses here in just a moment. But before you hear that, I want you to look back to Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 through 7. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. These commandments that I give to you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down, and when you get up. From the beginning of the compilation of Scripture, as the books of the Old Testament and then the books of the New Testament were inspired, as it tells us in 2 Timothy 3.16, as they were God-breathed, God-working through, supernaturally through men to write down his words that people would know them. Uh, from the Old Testament to the New, it, it was given to us that these words, if we read them and understand them and apply them, these words can have tremendous meaning in our lives. But let me break it down into five categories because that's what happens there in our passage that we're studying today. First, these scriptures, God's truth, are useful for teaching. They're useful for teaching. I want to throw out a $50 word for you. Epistemology. Epistemology. When I was in uh, undergrad at Emory University, I had one of my most profound classes was an intro to philosophy class. Uh, I was able to take some philosophy classes. It always intrigued me. And in the intro to philosophy, you talk about epistemology. What is it? It is the knowledge, the study of knowledge. It's knowing how we know what we know and knowing what actually is true as opposed to what is false. And that seems simple, but it's very complex when you start digging into it. But that piqued my interest because I always wanted to know of all the information in the world, how can we know what is true? How can we know what is false? And so I studied that. I, and when people would tell me the Bible is God's truth, I looked at it to see if it held up. I looked at it to see if it made sense and, and it hung together, if it could fulfill the claims that it makes of itself. All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching. That is, it's useful for teaching us about God. It's useful for teaching us how to live for God in this world. It's useful for giving us the right head knowledge. And these first two characteristics, teaching and reproof, they really deal with content, with us understanding what is true in this world. As we look at life, what things are true and what things are not. In talking to us and teaching us about God, it tells us about the character of God. It tells us about the values of God and His Son, Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit which lives and works and has his being in and around and among us and this tells us about the the persons of God but it also then tells us how to take those characteristics and those values and to put them into practice how do we become a better mate how do we become a better parent how do we live and value the right things in life how do we have an impact in our neighborhood and in our workplace. The scripture talks both about those lofty 
ideals of, of theology, and then it talks about the practice of theology in our lives. It teaches us, it teaches us how to live. Secondly, this passage tells us that it teaches us, uh, it reproves us, it rebukes us, if you will. A rebuke is a word that you see in the NIV, but I think it's really better understood as reproof. Reproof means, this Greek word, literally means to convince or to expose. Specifically talking about when we get opposite of where God wants us to be. So the scripture is useful for reproving us, for convincing us, for convicting us of sin. I tell you, it's very easy to see the sin in others. But one of the great values of Scripture as I read it, if I read it and, and really open myself up to it, is it, it can help me understand that I first must look in the mirror. Little Johnny, uh, he loved his mother's strawberry jam. And she put it on the top shelf and told him not to get into it while she ran some errands. He resisted for a while, but finally he couldn't help it. He succumbed. He put the chair by the counter, climbed up, and got his finger into the jam. He enjoyed this illicit treat until he heard his mother coming back, and then he quickly calmed down and was standing there just like he was innocent and naive. His mother said, Johnny, have you been in the strawberry jam? He looked her straight in the eye and said, no. Johnny, have you been in the jam? His eyes fell down to her belt line, and he said, no. A third time, she asked him the same question. This time, his eyes fell down to her shoes, but he still said no. She asked the fourth time, Johnny, have you been in the jam? And finally, his eyes dropped so low that he saw right down here was a big spot of strawberry jam. That's how the repeated reading of God's Word works on us. Listen now. To bring it to where we see ourselves. The first time we say this really applies to that no good neighbor of mine. I wish he'd read this verse. The second time we say this is good stuff for those obnoxious Christians in our church. The third time we say I wish my wife and kids would read this. It'd make things different around here. The fourth time we see the spot on our own shirt and say, Oh Lord, I need to deal with my own sin. That's the power of the Word of God. Before we can have life, we need to see the death and the ugliness in our souls. And the Bible can do that for us. The Bible can illumine, it can give us that understanding the head knowledge uh, that we have transgressed against God, either by things we have done that he didn't want us to do or by not living the way and doing the things, extending ourselves the way he would want us to. Sins of omission and commission, they both need to be seen. We need to be convinced. They need to be exposed. The Bible does that. When it says reproof, that's what it's talking about. Thirdly, we need God's truth for correction. Now, you might say reproof and correction are the same thing. I don't believe they are. I think we see a shift in that teaching and the understanding of those Greek words there. That correction is more about not just being convinced, but doing something about it. I, I love the word picture uh, of repentance in Bible. If you understand that Greek word, it means to be walking one direction 
and then think, I need to change. I need to, I'm going the wrong way. But you not only determine I'm going to walk a different way, but the word picture is you actually start walking. You make a change and you start living a different way. That's repentance. So what it means is, if we understand the Bible's useful for correction as well as reproof, is not only do we understand that we have sinned and we've, we've hurt somebody else or we've hurt God, but we do something about it. Repentance is the key to reconciliation. It's the key to us being reconciled back to God. Our sin brings a divide. And as we understand that and confess that before God, it says in his word that he's faithful and just to forgive us our sin. But we not only understand that and, and we do something about it. We, we don't keep repeating it and asking him over and over con- the same cycle. We, we want him to change us and, and to turn us. That's correction, you see. Likewise, when we find that in a relationship, maybe with our spouse or, or with our kids or other relationships around us, when we see that we have erred, we see that we have been wrong, we confess that to them and, and we seek to reconcile. We seek to come back together. Always a key to healthy, healthy marriage is, is there's forgiveness and reconciliation. And in all human relationships, the Bible can show us how to do that. It, it shows us about repentance and reconciliation. Fourthly, this scripture says it's useful for training. It's useful for training. The word literally means child training. And you think about that. Uh, uh, our goal as parents is to teach our kids how to navigate life. It's to teach them manners. It's to teach them uh, a work ethic. It's to teach them the, the kind of values that we want them to have. And, and so the Bible does that for us. If we will devote ourselves to studying it, We'll devote ourselves to understanding it accurately. The Bible will help us in this training process. We sometimes don't realize this. You know, you go into a bookstore and you see all kinds of titles. And virtually any subject you can find some books about. And you go and look and and look and look and, and you wonder, well, is this book what I need for... Uh, training my children this book what I need for understanding how to invest this book what I need for cooking Uh, and I think then about the scriptures how maybe so oftentimes we don't look first to the scriptures in all those different areas of life Uh, I don't I'm not saying in any way that you shouldn't read other books secular books but I am saying uh, that the scripture I think gives us a great understanding of what's needed to have a blessed life and to be a blessing. This training is what we need, and sometimes we overlook it. Uh, how many of you saw the movie Castaway? Famous movie with Tom Hanks. Uh, during Super Bowl 37, FedEx ran a commercial that spoofed that movie. Uh, Tom Hanks in that movie played a FedEx worker whose plane went down and and he was stranded on a desert island and lived there for several years. His only friend uh, was uh, volleyball, right, famously. But this, in this commercial, uh, actor looking like the bedraggled Hanks in the movie, he goes up to the door of a suburban home, package in hand. When the lady comes to the door, he explains that he survived five years on a desert, deserted island, and during that whole time, he kept this package in order to deliver it to her. 
she says simply, thank you. He's curious about what's in the package that he's been protecting for years. He says, if I may ask, what was in that package after all? She opens it and shows him the contents, saying, oh, nothing really. Just a satellite telephone, a global positioning device, a compass, a water purifier, and some seeds. Like the contents in that package, the resources for growth and strength are available for every Christian. If you're average Christian in this country, you have nine of them in your house. I think sometimes it is right within our grasp. The lesson, the correction, the training that we need, it maybe needs our priority. It needs our values to, to focus on and to prioritize the reading and the understanding of God's Word. It's why we're always going to be about teaching God's Word in this place. Uh, it is not philosophy that I will teach you. It's not sociology. It's not psychology. It is exposing, expository teaching of God's Word, and it always will be. Uh, finally, I think, and you see this down in verse 2 of chapter 4, that the Bible's useful for encouragement. You know, uh, when you get to that place and that happens in every life where the, uh, the ideal clashes with the real, you know, the Scripture gives us these lofty ideals about how to live a Christian life, and then it's hard to put it into practice. You need encouragement. I find so much encouragement in seeing the lives of Christians lived out in the New Testament. I see so much encouragement seeing in the lives and the words of the prophets in the Old Testament, in the lives of, of King David and, and Solomon. I, I see so much encouragement from them, and I think you can as well. When you have those tough challenges, when you have those defeats, those difficulties, you can see in the words of God encouragement. It's a big reason why I encourage you uh, to memorize Scripture. And when you memorize Scripture, no one can take that away from you. When you memorize Scripture, uh, particularly those verses that live to encourage, uh, like you can do all things through Christ who gives you strength, like to him who's able to do immeasurably more than we ask or imagine, more according to his power that is at work within us. When you memorize those scriptures, uh, then you constantly will be encouraged even when things aren't going so well, even when things are going difficultly. <clears throat> so that's the first question. Why do we need God's truth? And I've given you five reasons. But the second question, and more pertinently, we talked about verses 16 and 17 last week. I want to ask you this question. Why must we cling to God's truth? Imagine like Tom Hanks, you went down in the ocean, or his character. And you went down in the ocean, no land in sight in this case. And there was just one piece of buoyant wreckage that you could grasp onto. In this open ocean, no telling how deep, what would your priority be on that piece of buoyant flotation? I think you would grab onto it with all that you have. You would hang on to it. In verses 1 through 5 of chapter 4, we see that it will not always be easy or simple 
to know God's truth, to, to stay firm in God's truth. I want to read these verses for you and then come back and give you a few thoughts. In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, and in view of his appearing in his kingdom. So he's saying to Timothy, you need to remember this, Timothy, that it is God's viewpoint, it's God's perspective that only matters, no matter what happens in life. In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and dead, in view of his appearing in his kingdom, I give you this charge. Preach the word. In other words, preach God's truth. Be prepared in season and out of season. What he's saying is, be prepared if it's popular, be prepared if it's very unpopular. Correct, rebuke, reproof, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. For the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers who say what their itching ears want to hear. I will say to you, you talk about any alternative lifestyle you want to in today's world, you probably can find some people that will twist Bible verses to support that lifestyle. That's how we are. Our human nature is to want confirmation for what we believe, not explanation and correction that the truth gives us. In other words, we want to bend the word to what we want it to say instead of bending our lives, being conforming to the word. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to miss. But you keep your head in all situations, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, discharge all the duties of your ministry. You might be saying by now, well, that's obviously Paul writing to Timothy, who's a vocational minister. I say to you, I believe with all my heart that the Bible says that all of us are ministers. And if you just rely on me to teach the words of God, we're never going to be what he wants us to be because only so many people will come and listen to me. You have within your reach many people who don't know who I am, who have never heard the sound of my voice. And I tell you this, if you devote yourselves to studying the word and applying the word, as you devote yourselves to living out a Christian life the best you can, then you're going to have an effect, an influence, a legacy on those folks. And again, if you are understanding and growing in biblical knowledge and living it out, <laughs> you're going to have a great impact on those around you. That's the potential that's in this room. It will not be popular, the words of God. Some people will react against you if you choose to be faithful in your ministry. But I also say this to you, conviction doesn't always happen in the moment. Witness sometimes does not come through until years later. You, your responsibility is to be true and faithful to his word the best that you can. And then God brings about the results. Those people hopefully will one day see your witness and know your witness. But before we witness to others, we have to witness and have the witness impact us. We have to allow the words to convince and convict us. We have to allow the words to 
to change us, to lead us to repentance and reconciliation with God. Because this truth is always there. What we want is not always what we need. What we want is not always what we need. If you think back carefully over your life, you probably can think of illustrations of that. The times in where you realize that what you wanted was not what you needed. Uh, one thing I love about studying the scripture is it constantly does that. It, it constantly helps me to, to see that what I need is to be like, as much like God as I can be. <clears throat> it's not easy, but we need a few good men and a few good women to live wholeheartedly by the words of God, tr God's truth. We need folks whose legacy is to be a student of the Bible and a liver out of the Bible truths in their lives. Three military recruiters showed up to address high school seniors. Each recruiter representing the Army, Navy, and Marine Corps was to have 15 minutes. The Army and Navy recruiters got carried away, so when it was time for the Marine to speak, he just had two minutes left in this assembly time. He walked up and stood utterly silent for a full 60 seconds, half of that time. And then he said this, I doubt whether there are two or three of you in this room who would even cut it in the Marine Corps. But I want to see those two or three of you immediately in the dining hall when we were dismissed. He turned smartly and sat down. When he arrived at the dining hall after the assembly, it, there was a mob there. The recruiter knew that commitment comes from appealing to the heroic dimension in every heart. I think of that story when I think about the potential of one person's life. You know, we talk about heroes as being those people that step up in tragedies and those moments of life or death. I say to you, every day is a life of potential change between life and death. And who knows how you faithfully prioritizing God's word and, and seeking to live for him might turn a person from sin and death to, to see the one who brings life. The one who comes and leaps out of these pages. Jesus, the truth. Jesus, the truth. And if you know the truth, the truth shall set you free. Well, as we think about these things today, I pray that we have not become discouraged or disheartened. I'm sure some of us were thinking, man, I just don't study the Bible like I should. But it's not condemnation that you give us. It's challenge. It's conviction. If we understand we haven't been prioritizing your word, help us to change that starting today, starting this week. And help us not just to be about understanding with our head your word, but help us to be about living it with our kids, with our spouses, in our workplace, in our church. Help us to seek out. Help us to 
value and prioritize your truth. I thank you, Father, for this chance to have a correction course in our lives. Help us to be different this week. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.